Hi, this is Rahman Sheikh. Welcome to Fortnightly Railway Transportation Systems Podcast. I am the host and railway systems specialist working in this industry for 24 years and counting. This podcast is primarily focused on railway experts who have vast amount of experience and contributed greatly to this amazing industry. This is not a technical seminar but focuses on feel good stories, individual journeys, their success and failures, motivating younger generation to kick start their career in railways and creating a sense of pride for the railway people who devoted their lives on the most environment friendly public transportation. Our guest for this fortnight is Dr. Andrew Hussey, Director Regional Rams Asia Pacific at Hitachi. Andrew is an experienced systems and rams expert with over 25 years experience in the railway transport and control systems industries as well as being a technical specialist in the areas of systems, ram, safety and software engineering. Andrew also has extensive experience in line management roles both within project and organizational structures. He has a keen appreciation of the operational and safety criticality of railway signaling systems and of the role he plays in ensuring that those qualities are achieved previously andrew was employed by invensys group in brisbane as a vnv engineer and then development engineer andrew has a strong academic background and worked as a research fellow at the university of queensland conducting research and technology transfer to the industry partners in the software and safety domains hi andrew welcome to railway transportation systems podcast hi shake hi nice to be here thank you it's a generic question but i will change it a bit so that our audience don't get bored i will start with a question on your career what attracted you to engineering tell us your passions and about your education path please Yeah it's a um, I got into engineering through software engineering but it was a little bit of a convoluted path to get to where I am now originally I started out in a, a computer science degree but then spent some time studying law and studying psychology before um I realized that uh, really my passion lay with software and so I got back into software and eventually completed a, a PhD in software which was through the Department of Computer Science and Electrical Engineering and then after that at PhD I started work with a place called the Software Verification Research Center was at it's uh, no longer there anymore was at the University of Queensland and these guys um introduced me to the work they were doing on safety related systems for the defense department um and that was really my first introduction to the the, the broader field of safe and therefore to to systems engineering but I spent some time working specifically on software before I when coming back to Australia after spending some time in Sweden and then we Invensys on skater systems I um moved across to uh work for um Ansaldo the STS who were working on railway and it was then that I really started working on uh, on systems engineering projects rather than just software but um you know to come back to your question about what really attracted me to the engineering why I got back into software and then you know persisted for so long with systems and and rams it's really the variety and the challenges and the opportunity to learn you you know in engineering you never really stop learning and i think that's the thing that uh, keeps me interested in it and attracts me you had a great career so far and uh, science and engineering you know both are interesting 
but science can amuse and fascinate us all but it is engineering that changes the world talking about hitachi and your job at hitachi rail out of many options available why did you choose to specialize in rail yeah well you know as we sort of talked um previously on this topic uh it was i have to as to say that um really it was rail that uh, that found me that uh what was uh story was that um i was working for Invensys working on SCADA and um, I might have stayed working for Invensys developing software if it wasn't that they decided, uh, they being the management at Invensys decided it might be cheaper to develop that software in India. So they moved the offshore, the software development to India. So I needed to find a new job. And then my uh, ex-colleagues from the Software Verification Research Center contacted me and said, why don't you come and work for Ansaldo STS who were doing these, um, these railway projects? So then when I came to Ansaldo STS, that was when, you know, it was my first exposure to rail. And we started working on this uh, project, this ATO project, as it was called in Western Australia, to develop an ATO for Rio Tinto for these big freight trains, which are like 20,000 plus tons in size. And, you know, that's when I got hooked because uh, the hardware and the technologies are, you know, are so complex and various and the technical domain you know, with these big trains is so fascinating. Uh, as I said uh, to you previously, I haven't still haven't lost my interest in them now after um, 17 years of working on this stuff. Trains, the big flight trains. Trains are fascinating, isn't it? I love them. They are trains. to us. <laughs> trains have changed the world we live in more than any other single machine from the moment the first locomotive steamed into action did you know that that's why i love anything and everything about railways they'll keep changing the world too shake that's for sure but we'll come to that later sure <clears throat> and uh, now that you are in rail with hitachi what's a normal work day at hitachi rail entail yeah, a normal workday for me, I guess you mean. <laughs> yes. So um, I've got a team, a pretty big team, which is um, based in three sites, mainly Perth, Brisbane and Taipei. And so I spend a lot of time coordinating with my technical leads in that team, as well as, in fact, with all the guys in the team. I'm a big believer in in taking the time to talk to the guys in the team to gather information. Typically, um, I spend time in the mornings mainly to recovering information on the current status. And then depending upon what has come out of that, then I try to process some of those uh, key issues in the afternoon. I mean, obviously, not all issues can be managed in a single day and there's concerns yeah. that go on over weeks or months or even years, of course, in, in fact. And then, you know, uh, when I come home in the evenings after I've done all the things that we all of us need to do, I typically spend some time on the reading and professional development and, uh, you know, uh, keeping up with the, um, the latest that's happening in the business. Great. That's a people leader. When you talked about your people and you talked about you listening to your people, I think I, I more loved that point because you're creating an environment in which Others are able to self-actualize in the process of completing the job. Thank you for doing this. I'm very, very passionate about that, Shake, actually, yeah. that point you raised. Yeah. Yeah, love it. So moving forward, what engineering milestones you have been most proud of whilst working at Hitachi Rail? 
Yeah, I was actually, I was talking to a um, a colleague of mine, Arvin Raj, just this afternoon, and we were talking about uh, reminiscing a little about some of the work that we did on the Banker project that was an extension of the order hall work that we've done. So we, we built in the end this ATO system for Rio Tinto and um, it's been in operation now for some years. A few years ago, we extended that with what's called um, the Banker uh, extension, which is a banker locomotives or locos that uh, is at, are at the back of, could be in the middle of the consist, but in Rio, they're at the back of the consist pushing. And in Rio, those for efficiency reasons, those bankers disconnect from the train. While the train's running, moving, they disconnect, stop and return back to the mine to, to bank out another train. It was a very complex, functionally very complex piece of work to, as you can imagine, for the system to do that autonomously and complex to to do the RAMs and assurance work for that. Uh, and we had uh, involved discussions with the ICER at the time. Arvin and I were reminiscing on that a little, um, and I was, uh, you know, laughing about the... Um, uh, you know, the, the challenges that we had faced. Um, but uh, in retrospect, you know, it's uh, enjoyable to look back on that. You know, that's one highlight, I guess, uh, along with the order hall system in general, but also, of course, as I, uh, as I've often said to people, the work that we did for Roy Hill, that people often forget that we developed for Roy Hill, a, a very uh, beautiful, I would say, system, technically beautiful system that I'm very proud of. So that's also something else uh, that I'm proud of that we delivered. Amazing, amazing projects. <clears throat> you know, that banker you just spoke about, that's a driverless, right? Yeah, the banker um, system, originally we designed it to be completely driverless, um, but there were uh, issues for us to select a technology to detect the detachment of the um, of the banker from the consist, from the main train. And uh, so in the end, we had to limit the system to a, a driver-supervised system where the driver, their only real only role is to confirm the separation of the banker. Apart from that, it's fully driverless. Great. Even that uh, Royal project, I think that um, in the in the initial VBTO stage, I was involved and I was really surprised because I come from a conventional signaling and standing on the forefoot and you see nothing, nothing at all on the railway. That's but, right. That's right. Yeah, it's really, um, well, we won awards for that, of course, as you well know, or, or I should say um, Roy Hill won awards for that as you well know. So I think it was widely recognized at the time for the technical achievements. Great achievement. That's off. Not an easy task, especially when it comes to deliver innovative projects like this within the tight budget. So going back to our previous discussions where we touched about leadership, because I'm still stuck there, even though we talk about technology and innovation, what do you think makes a great leader, Andrew? Yeah, um, that's a topic that I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested in. So for me, the leader isn't the guy who stands at the front and directs the team what to do. As you heard from what I said before about how I run my day, that yeah. the leader is the guy who gathers information from the team that facilitates the working of the team. For me, the leader is the person who's giving, painting the big picture, defining the morals or ethics of the team, giving the, the broad objectives for the team. But it's the team themselves who, who need to decide or uh, determine how they're going to achieve those objectives. So the leader for me is a person who is there to facilitate, motivate the team to achieve those objectives. Uh, I, I gave a, a, an analogy when we were discussing this uh, uh, previously about the leader being the guy who's steering the boat, but the crew are the people who keep the boat running on the course that's being set by the leader. Um, so that's, uh, you know, for me, the key thing to remember as a leader. Absolutely. There is nothing I would disagree with. And thanks for bringing this leadership skills into the industry, Andrew. Inspiring 
the next generation of in- engineers what hitachi doing in the space of innovation and research please <clears throat> yeah so hitachi are active on a on multiple fronts we're active of course some um, developing signaling technologies uh for a long time now as we just discussed with the roy hill project um we developed the technology to enable the um the signaling to be fully centralized without the need for trackside infrastructure like belize so the roy hill system has uh virtual belize uh rather than actual physical belize but um you know in addition to this and uh, since that time but roy hill now has been in operation for several years we've also been working on uh, new solutions for the um we're continuously improving of course our solutions for the etcs and cbtc but also working on new solutions for um for trackside worker protection as an example one of the new products that um attachi is working on which synchronizes well with some of the concerns i think globally but also from the perspective of the onsa that uh, we need to enhance and better protect our track the processes for our trackside workers great and even more uh, i hear a lot about your company that hitachi rail working on a new or improved product or processes whose technological characteristics are significantly different from before so what do you think makes a successful engineer is this the reason yeah so the for me uh, it might depend on what area of engineering you're working in but but for me working in uh, in systems engineering and in particular in in rams one of the the key attributes of the successful engineer is persistence that um you have to be persistent because you need to be persistent in gathering the information that you need and processing that information i guess a a few properties that i would say list off would be persistence uh, thirst for knowledge patience to learn and having a keen eye to observe so but most of all i think as i said the most important property i think is persistence and patience um that uh, uh, and as i you know as i've said uh, before that the in particular the rams engineer needs to be the guy who doesn't forget uh so you need to come back to the problems and make sure that the problems have been dealt with because that's what assurance is about is about closing out all of the issues uh in an appropriate way before the system's released I agree what an answer you know i like those words persistence thirst for knowledge patience i think not just for an engineer but in every other field i think what you just said applies and quite you, possibly you, <laughs> yeah and you did as well raised ramps you brought into the picture ramps and my next question was about that how does one become a ramps expert because not many people know about ramps even within the rail industry you know that, that's a question actually that from time to time people ask me is about how they can become maybe they don't always use the term expert but they want to know how they can you know become knowledgeable in the area of rams and it's not an a quick or easy path there's a big body of knowledge just like any specialized area of engineering i suppose there's a big body of knowledge that needs to be mastered and but on top of that I think that it's uh not just a matter of uh entering into the RAM space and learning everything to not to know about RAMs but the the really good RAMs engineers or have also got a grounding 
in the engineering or in the systems engineering or, or, or even more particularly in the, you know, electrical and software and uh, validation. So, and really the more broader your um, experience, uh, then probably the better. So you typically see often that the really uh, good RAMS guys, just as, as probably the same as validation, are often guys that are a bit older that have a, I, I use the term guy there, meaning uh, non-gender specific, by the way, just to be clear, a bit older than and have uh, experience across a quite a, a wide range. Uh, range of the life of the system life cycle. Um, so, you know, this is, I think, the path to be the expert. And so that means that you need to be patient and, uh, and take the time. Um, it's not going to be a quick process. So when we talk about RAMs, I hear a lot about MTBF, MTTR terms, and uh, using the software for RAMs calculation. How much value does it add in RAMs? So... A lot of people are using tools to, so the things you just mentioned are are more related to the availability and definitely tool-based approaches are essential, I think, to make the availability or uh, reliability calculations. um, It's really essential to use tools. It's possible to make calculations uh, on paper or with Excel, but um, really time-consuming. For sure, most people are using tools now to do that, like reliability workbench or wind chill and so forth. But even in the safety space, tools are a benefit to organize um, your analyses like a Famicas, for example, um, or for example, we're in Hitachi, we're use, also using doors, the doors tool, I mean, to store our hazard logs, for example, as well as our requirements. So we can have an integrated approach to requirements and hazard log management. So definitely tools are a big benefit to the RAMS engineer. You can do the job without them, but um, increasingly using tools you know, um, to what, speed up our work. The only reason I brought this up because uh, when you go for a product type approval, they ask that your MTBF or your MTTR should mm, be 99.9%. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's right. I get that way. How can you do that? So <laughs> we do those calculations for the availability, but also for the safety. Another, you know, the the other side of the coin is the safety and the tolerable hazard rate, as it's called. And the calculations you can make the same sort of calculations. Typically, though, people use fault trees for calculating THR rather than RBDs. Um, typically using RBDs in in availability and fault trees in. In safety, but in you know, these are really two effectively syntactically, uh, semantically equivalent, sorry, um, notations, syntactically different, but semantically equivalent. Yeah. So, but it's essential. You bring us into other topics like the risk acceptance principles and, uh, yeah. uh, where, but in some cases you need to make those detailed calculations to convince people. Brilliant. Are there any specific professional bodies where we can learn more about RAMs uh, and any websites? Yeah, there's, I think, um, at least two in Australia that are specific to, to RAMs, you know, in addition to the, um, the more broader engineering, um, bodies like the IRSE, for example, uh, the Institute of Railway Signaling Engineers. But, um, in the safety space specifically, there's the Australian Safety Critical System Association, which runs a conference yearly. And there's also the, um, Rail Industry System Safety Board, which is the RISB. Um, which also runs several conferences each year. One of them, I think at least one of those be very specific to safety. Um, so I would, you know, those two organizations in particular, RISB, RISB has a lot of a great resource, but, um, unfortunately to really make use of RISB's uh, website, you need to be a member. That's the only, uh, only problem. If you don't have that, then I would say to head to the ONSA's website, when the Office of the National Rail Safety Regulator. And in there, you can find for free, uh, lots of, uh, resources. Uh, and guidance. Uh, Those are a few places you could look. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that valuable information, Andrew. 
Now, moving ahead, what do you think the future holds for rail and transportation in general? Yeah, this is an interesting topic. I think um, increasingly getting talked about at a conference I, I was presenting at a, a, a few weeks ago the, under the auspices of the um, IET. They were um, talking about, uh, as many of us are talking now, about um, mobility as a service. And um, I think that the future for rail is linked to this uh, buzzword mobility as a service so that uh, in the future we'll see this more integrated model of transportation, most likely, I think, um, associated with the move towards driverless vehicles. As we move towards autonomous vehicles, um, that will hook into this mobility as a service so that we see, rather than people driving their own cars, uh, they'll be um, jumping into autonomous vehicles that are uh, cruising around and taking them to, if, you know, possibly is taking them into end to the destination, but also maybe for a longer journey is taking them to a railway station uh, where they'll still catch a train for a longer journey for cost reasons. So I think rail will still be there, part of that overall cost and environmental aspect. Yeah, amazing. I would look forward to it. And probably that would help with less or no carbon emissions at all. Absolutely. I think it's critical for various reasons. I'm sure that I was mentioning to some of the colleagues in Brisbane when I was there earlier this week that um, I'm sure the big car companies don't like um, this this innovation because yeah. I guess you won't sell as many cars when they're being shared in this um, smart way. But, you know, uh, less cars we can manufacture and less cars we have uh, rolling around the streets, the less carbon we have. So and the more we can get people, therefore, to use trains, because with mobility as a service, you're going to have an end to end journey at the moment. You you might have these um, unsatisfactory wait times, but uh, in this uh, dynamic where you've got uh, enough of these autonomous vehicles floating around, um, you won't experience that. You'll just get into a car, go to the train station, train will be there. At the other end, you'll pick up another car, go to your end destination, and it will be seamless. Wow, that's glaring. And uh, Andrew, I came to my last question to you. What would be your advice to young people getting into engineering? Yeah, I would say that my advice for young people getting into engineering is to probably two things, at least two things. One is to take the time to build a, a strong foundation. It's the same point I raised a little earlier in our chat about uh, if you want to be a RAMS engineer, take the time to be to first learn about systems or software or even the technologies themselves but even before you try to to learn about RAMs, that's one thing is to get the foundations in place and be patient and uh, be patient to learn. The other thing is to take on the, the the difficult work. You know, don't shy away from the difficult project or the um as I, as I would express it, the the dangerous mission. Take on the most challenging things you can and challenge yourself. Put yourself, take yourself out of your comfort zone and do things that you don't you're not sure that you can do or achieve. Um, these are the two bits of pieces of advice, main advice I would have for the, the young guys. Is there any graduate program in Hitachi Rail if younger people would like to join Hitachi? Yeah, we in the past, we have had a focus on graduates. We're focusing again on the, um, bringing graduates into the organization because uh, we recognize the value of bringing in new engineers who can who we can train specifically in the ways that we work. This is a it's a value to us and it's a value to the new engineers that, uh, that we're able to train. Those young people, um, I think, uh, are an important resource for the future that we have to foster. Apart from engineers, is there any scope for TEF candidates like cert force in signal electricians, people who do electricians cert for courses? 
It, I think it depends on the role. Certainly, you know, generally, though, we do tend to favor degree qualified uh, people. So normally to come into an engineer role, you have to have a degree qualification. That's the way that our um, our competency system works. It's not necessarily a blocking point for performing a, a lot of the work that we perform, particularly in the testing and commissioning and validation space, you know, where the most important thing sometimes is the technical competence against the particular uh, specific technology. So there's definitely space even for those uh, non-degree qualified people uh, to have a role in our organization. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for spending your time agreeing to spend your valuable time with us. And probably I might call you again in the future to discuss more in detail about ramps and assurance. That would be very interesting, Sheikh, and I, I welcome any future conversations. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Sheikh. I believe everyone listening to this podcast has got something to take away from today's discussion. If you like this podcast, please listen, follow and share this podcast within your network. If you believe we should be sharing your story or someone within your network, there is a railway leader who should be here sharing his or her contribution to this industry. Contact me on Railway Transportation Systems at gmail.com. Thank you for your time today. See you next fortnight. Until then, stay safe and take care of yourself.